And a lot of people are inefficient fat burners. So for me, blood glucose monitoring will educate people like yogurts and bread. And first thing in the morning, we had what's called a cortisol awakening response. It's that rev over the first 60 to 90 minutes of a cortisol going up. And that cortisol going up should bring up blood glucose up. But the problem is a lot of people are having a lot of glucose first thing in the morning, and that's going to bring up cortisol down. So we have this seesaw on the front. So the blood glucose monitor educates people into what they put in their milk, dictates the fuel they're going to be using, and also where this is going to be stored. We ultimately want to be efficient fat burners, and that's what a lot of people are going to the gym and looking to put on muscle mass and to burn body fat. But if they're constantly spiking insulin, insulin is a storage hormone. If you're looking to release body fat, your message to the body shouldn't be the store. Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Bukolsky. Today's podcast, we're going to dive into nutrition. This is a doozy. This one's going to blow your mind. If you're someone who is confused about nutrition, if you're someone who wants to understand an enormous number of action items that are going to be high impact for you and how to understand ultimately how to look at optimization of nutrition, lifestyle, and all the potential interventions that are going to help you thrive. Owen Lacey is going to provide a ton of clarity for you. Owen is the owner and creator of the Iris Strength Institute. He has helped numerous athletes win Olympic gold medals, truly a powerhouse of information. Nothing short of brilliant is Owen. Uh, he joins me today to discuss everything there is to uh, understand about high performance nutrition. He spends a lot of time diving into the lifestyle optimization uh, and, and interventions ultimately that it's going to require to fix your body, heal your body, thrive in whatever your objective is in life. Uh, really, really blessed to have this conversation with Owen. I feel truly blessed every day I get to record these podcasts, but this one is truly remarkable. I know you guys are going to love it. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Bioptimizers. Owen actually mentions how much he uh, loves and appreciates Bioptimizers products. Bioptimizers has been sponsoring the podcast for over three years now, consistently providing the highest quality uh, products to you and our listeners and me and my family. And Owen specifically recommends that we jump on to Mag Breakthrough. It's a seven magnesium blend that ultimately absorbs in different rates and affects different tissues in the body. So why do I want to take seven different types of magnesium? Well, they all have different uh, ability to absorb. Some of them absorb really well. They absorb at different rates. Some of them are chelated to different amino acids, and that means they actually affect different tissues in the body in different ways. Some affect the nervous system, some affect the GI tract, some affect the muscular system and all the other tissues in the body. And some of them will absorb better in certain people than others. So taking a magnesium of seven different sources, an incredibly good idea. And you'll notice a difference. If you're someone who uh, eats a lot of protein, you need more magnesium. If you're stressed, you need more magnesium. If your digestion is uh, in any way limited or your metabolism is in any way limited, you're not producing enough energy. Magnesium is a really good supplement. If you're stressed, if you feel like you maybe have a little anxiety, magnesium. Magnesium is one of the five essential supplements that I suggest everyone take. You can get it hooked up today with that and so much more. If you go to magnes or sorry, magbreakthrough.com slash muscle intelligence and their digestive suite, which is hydrochloric acid, enzymes, which is the product mass I'm that I love and P3M all actually mentioned by Owen today in the podcast and all mentioned by me all the time, head to magbreakthrough.com slash muscle intelligence, or just use the code muscle 10. And you go to buy optimizers to get hooked up with 10% off your entire order. Head over there now. Don't miss this offer. And right after you listen to this podcast with our amazing friend, Owen Lacey from the Irish Strength Institute. 
First, welcome, man. Super great to finally connect. I know we kind of crossed paths here and there. Have great <laughs> to finally have you on, man. I'm, I'm a big fan of what you do, and you're a very, very bright man in the nutrition space. And there's a lot of people in the nutrition space who are parroting what other people are saying. They're just regurgitating it. And you're one of those people who's really working at, at the, the tip of the spear, man. So I really appreciate you making the time. No problem. The pleasure to have it in, boy. Although I am a little bit insulted that John Connor, or Dr. John Connor, was on before me. So I'm never going to live that down. But um, it's okay because he gets a hard time with his name being John Connor. But look, it is already a pleasure to be here. Hopefully, I can give some value to your listeners. Yeah, John was phenomenal. I know he works with you there, the Irish Strength Institute. And I think that was just a, a scheduling thing. I mean, you know, you guys are both phenomenal. I appreciate that. But hopefully, I uh, better, better do better than John did for sure. I've got red hair, but I'm still Irish. So if the guys can't understand me on Spotify, you, you can slow me down. You can't un Irish me, but you can definitely slow me down. We're going to have to use, we always joke, we're going to have to use the subtitles with you, right? That's okay. That's okay. I'm just teasing. Cool, man. Well, dude, I appreciate you. I'm a fan of performance. I'm a fan of, I often say the thing that interests me most in life is the people that begin where everyone else ends. So the average athlete, you know, they push really hard, then they stop. And then there's, there's that one guy or that one girl, they keep going and, and they're willing to test the boundaries and they're willing to test the the barriers of their mind and the barriers of their wall, of their body and, and, and the, the, the outskirts and really just like push the levels of human performance. And you're working with those people. And I find that really interesting. And I'm curious, um, you know, your approach, I'm curious what that looks like when, so, when a high level athlete, our performance athlete comes into you and says, Hey, you know, I, I want to go hard. I want to go far. I want to, I want to lift the best. I want to, I want to fight the best. I want to compete the best. I want to, I want to win an Olympic medal. And you know, you're uh, steering the ship, but I'm, I don't know if you're doing the programming as well or just the nutrition. I'd love to have you share that. And I just want to kind of dissect what that starts to look like. People who are already doing extract that, that additional 1% from everything they're doing. When it comes to high performance, for me, it could be high performance for the little level athlete. I consult a lot to wrestlers in Azerbaijan. And as you can imagine, my Azerbaijani isn't that good. So when you're coaching an athlete, the key thing is to find out what they're currently doing. Because a lot of guys don't have a structure. Guys or girls, they don't have a structure. They're always looking for the next best thing. Where sometimes there could be obstructive sleep apnea for a guy, or it could be low testosterone, it could be a vitamin D deficiency. So my initial approach is one, I get them in the room. I, I always prefer one-to-ones in person if I can, but that's not always the way it can be. And we do a thorough investigation. So we break down their training routine. We break down their how the heart rate is impacted in that training routine. We look at the nutrition. We look at their supplementation. We go to their medical history. For me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of functional medicine. And unfortunately, functional medicine, I think, is, is it's a bit of a gray area. Functional medicine, functional medicine for me is a patient-centered approach to the management of health and performance. So when you come to me, if it's, you've got kids at home, you've got a wife, you've got a, a job that requires to go through time zones, so I have to see all those stressors. I have to see in every situation, I want to find an opportunity. And what is the opportunity? Is it light therapy? Is it intravenous vitamin therapy? Is it just getting it, hitting your macros or getting you counting your calories? So my approach is based off where that athlete currently is. But I've never had an athlete come in that was ticking all the boxes. So for example, I'm like people's dirty little secret. They may be playing a professional sport and have a coach and have a nutritionist, but they're still coming to me for the blood war. They're still coming to me for their uh, Genova diagnostic analysis of their nutritional intake or their amino acids. I'm going to recommend people to maybe take a fish oil or glycine or magnesium. I'm doing that off actually lab showing me that they needed that. Because most athletes are taking supplements with no blood work to support that. 
they're following diet because somebody else did it. But their genetic background, their their what we call the phenotype or their genetic expression is going to be very different. So one, I do a thorough eva- evaluation of their medical history, their diet, their training, what they're looking to do, when they're looking to do a boy, and then we go through nutrition, sleep, recovery, training. We go through whatever I feel the area of opportunity is. And a lot of times I might have to bring in an osteopath or bring in someone that specializes in hormone replacement therapy or bring in sleep clinic. But I'm lucky enough that I've got a pretty big faculty of guys that I can lean on to help me with those people. But for me, it's not... One of the things I don't particularly love is people saying, I'm going to hack myself to health. You can't, there's no shortcut. There's fundamental things that guys need to do. And I want to make sure they're there. So one thing I love to do, I'm a big fan of blood glucose and monitoring uh, devices on, on the arm. And why I like that is if you can remember Tom and Jerry, the cartoon back in the day, and there was devil and an angel on the shoulder. We all know what we should do. To be honest with you, everybody knows what they should do. It's following the plan. It's having that accountability. So having a blood, blood glucose monitoring somebody shows them what their metabolism is doing with the food they're consuming, the amount they're consuming, the time they're consuming with, when they're training. So it gets them to buy in a little bit more. So it's like having a coach on the shoulder for the two weeks that your voice is on. But I use that blood glucose monitoring as a step into the nutrition, as a way to obviously retrain these habits, to change behaviors. Because unfortunately, a lot of people, they're, they're good in certainty, but the consistency with sleep routine, the consistency with, with training, the consistency with their recovery. Like people tell me their training programs, and I'm like, where's your recovery? Oh, that's my off day. An off day is not a recovery day. When they go to the gym, they're sweaty, they're getting a pump bomb. There's no structure. There's no periodization. There's no strength core rotation. There's no, there's no balance within the program. So for me, it's about throwing eyes over what they're doing and see how we can put together what I call a personalized performance plan. So if you're going to get a physio treatment, I'll tell you what you need to drink, what you need to take before and after. The guys, I was getting emails off massage therapists because they'd fly with these rugby teams and soccer teams, the venues. And I'm like, are you getting a massage in the plane? They're like, no. Well, why aren't you? You're on the plane for seven hours going to the States. Why isn't your massage service there getting a massage? When you land, have you got a routine of what you're consuming when you land to get over the time zone? No. So for me, it's about giving them the, the plan. Athletes are phenomenal. Athletes will do whatever you tell them to do once they have a plan and they get a result from it. Executives are a little bit different. They want you to do everything for them. They're a little bit different. So for me, long way about saying it is, I assess where they currently are. I see where they want to go to. And I will look for the lowest hanging fruit, the big red flag in the window. That could be sleep. That could be non deep sensitivity that could be dude allergies that could be no testosterone that could be thyroid problems it could be digestive issues and i i pinpoint there and i, I start i go in with the biggest thing i think is going to have the biggest impact and i build on from there let's come back to the cgm the continuous glucose monitor and for anyone who hasn't done that a listener it's, it's a monitor you wear in your arm that's going to going to kind of gauge your your blood glucose levels uh, at a at a minute to minute rate, like real time, and so I listened to your 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 talk on metabolic flexibility and how you use a CGM. And I'd love to have you explain. Do you draw a, a direct um, correlation between someone's metabolic flexibility and where their blood glucose lives? So if their blood glucose stays kind of consistently low, do we draw the the assumption then that they are metabolically flexible, or, or is that more like looking at patterns in how their body recovers after glucose uh, consumption? If you just like talk us through one, maybe you could you could explain 
the concept that I know you're kind of a fan of a metabolic flexibility and then how the CGM directly correlates to that. So, so what happens is, so you can imagine metabolic flexibility is like you had a hybrid car. So if you've got a hybrid car, a Nissan Prius or whatever car it may be, is at certain speeds, the body, the car will be in an electric mode. And when it goes past a certain speed, it will go into petrol mode. Also, as humans, we can, we can obviously use protein in that as a form of energy, but it's not the preferred form. A preferred form of fat or sugar in, in, in the present. So when you consume a meal that has X amount of carbohydrate in it, the body should be able to absorb the carbohydrates needed, store it in its glycogen, in the liver, or in the muscle, and then it should be able to go back to burning fat. Some people that are meant about to be inflexible don't have the ability to go from a fat burning like me or sitting here, hopefully burning fat as our main fuel source, to then go and doing a movement or the training in the gym, which will, again, bring our blood glucose up. Or if we've had a meal, the body's going to try to bring down that blood glucose and store it. And this is our primary hormone for bringing down our glucose and storing it healthily in the body. And a lot of people are inefficient fat burners. So for me, blood glucose monitoring will educate people like yogurts and bread. First thing in the morning, we had what's called a cortisol awakening response. It's that rev over the first 60 to 90 minutes of a cortisol going up. And that cortisol going up should bring a blood glucose up. But the problem is a lot of people are having a lot of glucose first thing in the morning, and that's going to bring a cortisol down. So we have this seesaw on the front. So the blood glucose monitor educates people into what they put in their milk, dictates the fuel they're going to be using, and also where this is going to be stored. We ultimately want to be efficient fat burners, and that's what a lot of people are going to the gym and looking to put on muscle mass and the burn body fat. But if they're constantly spiking insulin, insulin is a storage hormone. If you're looking to release body fat, your message to the body shouldn't be to store. And everybody's carbohydrate tolerance is very different. Their movement, their muscle mass, their insulin sensitivity. But for me, a lot of people are coming in and they need, I like to think of it as a health sat now. When we're, you're in a car, if I'm driving anywhere in Dublin or in the States, I need to know two things from my sat-nav. One, my current location, and two, my destination. And it's never a straight line. We all know this, Ben. It's not a straight line from A to B. But the blood glucose will get you back on track. If you're having tsunami waves up and down the whole time, that's your body reacting with cortisol and adrenaline and glucagon all over the place. The body likes calm. It likes a bit of routine where it can actually use the process. It doesn't. You don't want to be spending your stress hormones and bringing blood glucose into control. Your stress hormones for is for stress that you can control. So for me, I want to make my my people. I want to make their engine metabolically flexible for the journey ahead. I don't want the car leaking a boil and having no petrol before we go on a long journey. So enhancing someone's metabolic flexibility, I think is a very efficient way of starting someone off on the journey, whether it be muscle mass or body composition. And we do that. Sometimes I start people off on a lower carbohydrate diet, not a, not a no, but a lower carbohydrate diet. Like basically throughout the day, within the meals, I like to bake, maybe put the majority of carbs post-workout on a dinner time. I focus on sleep. I do believe when I'm not recommending to people because when you're in the cardio zone, you're enhancing that enzymatic function of being able to use fat. And I think fitness to a certain level carries across the people who have to train for longer. So this business of don't do cardio, don't eat any carbs, and don't eat any carbs, that's extreme for me. And the clients that I have, they want results, but they don't want results next week. They want results so they can live healthier, happier lives moving forward. If they're performance-based, I'll be honest, sometimes things you do for performance, as you well know in your field, it's not always the healthiest thing for you, but you do it towards getting what your performance goal is. But from an executive point of view, get the metabolism on your side. 
get the engine running, get the metabolic flexibility, and then you can tweak things. But for example, one of my pet hates is, not that I'm not a fan of intermittent fasting, I think every type of diet can be have benefit for some people. But if you ask the majority of people what meal they skip when it comes to the intermittent fasting, it's breakfast, right? I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? So we want to get this rhythm in. Their protein intake, their fat intake is abysmal, but their calories are, they get in in those meals. So for me, I like to give people the recommendations that point tune their met- metabolism, get the blood glucose in control, get the function, get the drive, get their energy up. And then don't get me wrong, I'll smash people in the gym when they can, but that's not the driving force. And for me, I use, I'll go back to my car analogy, if we're going on a journey and there's two people in the front of the car, the four three people that everyone thinks should be in the front of the car is exercise and nutrition. And in my opinion, in the back seat, there's sleep issues, there's dehydration issues, and there's stress issues. Sometimes in order to be able to go on a journey, maybe you need a little bit of recovery, you need a bit of mobility, you need a bit of shitness. So I don't think exercise should, like extreme exercise should be the biggest focus all the time. You can all smash people one hour in the gym or two hours in the gym, the 22 hours outside the gym, or 23 hours outside the gym that they can undo things. So for me, that metabolic flexibility just gets the engine running and it helps me when I start to add in things down the line, progress people moving forward. So just to kind of summarize what you're saying there, someone who's wearing a continuous glucose monitor, if they're seeing a lot of drastic fluctuations in their blood glucose going way up and way down, way up and way down, the body's really not able to kind of to gain uh, stability. We're trying, we're trying to, metabolic flexibility, we're trying to look for a relatively flat line. We want that thing to be you know, relatively stable. Eat, it goes up a little bit, it comes down, but it's pretty consistent and we're not looking for big swings. Is that like an indication in your mind about what metabolic flexibility would look like on a CGM? Yeah, so what I'm looking for, it depends on the person, but between about 4 to 4.5, up to around 6 is where I'm looking for. What I also want is, I want be- fasting blood glucose first thing in the morning. I want that below 5 for the majority of my clients, below 5. That's constantly verging to, well, I know you guys use different measurements, I think it's age or well, certain. Same as us in general, yep. Okay, right. So what I'm looking for is, one, I want to allow fasting blood glucose in the morning. Now, blood glucose will go up when you try and that's completely normal. It will go up when you've had carbs, but when it comes back down in control again. But I want this back in control. I don't want plummets down, plummets back up again. And if people are doing intermittent fasting and they're dropping down to 3 or dropping down to 2.5, that's when it causes a lot of hormonal stress inside the body. We have enough stress going on. Blood glucose shouldn't be another one that we put on ourselves because we're making that decision. What you put in your mouth is your decision. So for me, I want an average between about 4 and 6. I want to low in the morning. And when people do go up and down, I want them to know why. So normally what I would do when someone comes in, I put it on them and I say for one week, for one whole week, do what you normally do. You know yourself, Ben, when someone gives you a diet, <laughs> they give you the best diet they've ever had that week. So when you give someone a blood glucose, let them eat what they want. And I have a rule. They basically send me a picture first thing in the morning when they get up and then they take a picture of the blood glucose, take a picture of the meal, take the blood glucose again so we can sort of see what's happening. And I will go up over about 20, 40, and 60 minutes post-meal. But what I'm looking for them to see is, Look at what you're doing to yourself. Having that bagel or having that pasta salad when you didn't train, you didn't need it, cause your blood sugar just to go up for the whole day. And that's the reason. So when people can see what that food is actually doing to metabolism and doing to the biochemistry, it helps me then educate them the second week of how we're going to change it. So we dissect the first week and we see, okay, this is your trajectory of your bloods. 
These are your meals. Now you can you see why we're going to do this. And once they're on, on board of the journey, early in my career, I was, I was fascinated with telling people the mechanisms, the better selves, the alpha selves. People don't care. They want to know what to do. So I don't educate people on the stuff until they want to know the answer. So I'm coaching them through it. So I say, okay, look, you had this yogurt, there was granola and Oreo bits in it. Look what that did your glucose. Do you think that's going to optimize your... Okay, so they're, they're getting a ball with me. So I'm letting them answer the questions because they've lived their normal week. They've assessed their blood glucose. Then we sit down and dissected it. But I've let them tell me why it's gone off. Can you see why your sleep was terrible that day? And this is the thing. People have really bad sleep. The next morning, a breakfast that would be will be ideal normally, their blood glucose is not responding the same way. And that's when we talk about phase one and phase two insulin response. We're telling people, if your enzymes aren't there to break suit down, they're playing catch-up. The body doesn't like to be reactive. It likes to be in, in place to respond to stuff. It likes to say, okay, I have insulin there. I'm going to start making some for later on, or I have enzymes there. But when you've had poor sleep and just low levels of insulin in the body, or there's low enzymatic function, when you eat that food, the body becomes overwhelmed and it reacts stiffly. That's when we talk about sleep. That's when we talk about hydration. That's when we talk about that excessive wine before they went to bed is derailing their health. And when we talk about, I've, I've seen so many food diaries in my life. One of the things, breakfast, 100%, A+, plus, lunch, A+, plus, snack, brilliant, dinner, absolutely amazing. And this person isn't losing weight. And then I say to them, you're not having any snacks before you go to bed. Yes. This mindless eating or mindless eating in front of the television, over-consuming five, 600 calories they're not even aware of. But when they have the blood glucose monitor on, they become aware of these little snacks they have or overeating or whenever it may be. It makes them 100% accountable. That's a great way of getting into someone's life without following them around 24-7, So, which people don't like. Something probably do. Yeah, so sounds like the big levers that you've mentioned are obviously sleep and then stress and exercise obviously an enormous lever on uh, metabolic flexibility and insulin control uh, so are those your your biggest levers i mean you know order order of consuming food can and influence it as well is, it, is that like a summary of the biggest levers because i just want to summarize for the listener like hey we're talking about optimizing for metabolic flexibility and, and glucose control sleep exercise stress and order of consumption of food are those your biggest levers yeah so if you if you were to put all your meals down for me i like that the majority of my after working and at dinner time. So I spread it out that way. If you consume protein at the first part of the meal and some of your vegetables and not your starchy carbs, that will also bring it down. And also one thing that is very, very, very impactful that people don't realize, eating with somebody, eating in a slow manner. I have this thing where I say 5, 10, 50, and 20. Five diaphragmatic belly breaths, 10 seconds, put your knife and fork down, make sure your meal lasts at least 15 minutes, and then go for a 20-minute walk after your meal has massive impact on your blood sugar. I cannot stress that enough. A 20 minute walk with a friend after a meal, it can do, because they do four activation, really helps you to bring bring down that postprandial glucose spike. But again, you shouldn't be having too much carbs, but five belly breaths, get you the, that parasympathetic, gets that diaphragm moving, get the vagus nerve activated. 10 seconds, much and fork down, chin your food, 50 minutes at least, for that meal, off your phone, ideally engaging with a, a partner, a child, whatever it may be, a friend, and then a 20-minute walk will have huge impact. And I challenge anybody, just have a normal meal like you would have with the glucose on, follow those four steps, and it will have a profound impact on your, on your blood, blood, blood glucose management. 
That's incredibly valuable. That that's you know I, I actually use a lot of those things. I don't use the ten seconds to put your fork, fork down. I like that one. I'm gonna leverage that one for sure. And I, I love the idea of eating in the social environment. Certainly, oh. people eat so mindlessly, right? It's just like, and especially in a busy world or as athletes, sometimes we're eating for for function. It's like I gotta throw this meal back because I got stuff to do, and we just throw it back. And, and you know the rate that you're consuming things, same like the rate you consume caffeine, can significantly impact the spike and then the drop of you know the response 100 yep and for me it's about giving people advice they can follow easily they don't need to understand phases or responses or metabolic flexibility follow these steps and most people are only consuming three meals four meals a day that's only 60 minutes or 45 minutes to devote to food particularly i've got kids at home a big spectrum of children at home so for me i like to be to sit down with them and engage their day and what's going on it's the only time i get to catch up with them so I think it's important that to be in the moment and, and and eating food with people, not just for the sake of it, can really impact your physiology. I love it. So someone walks into your world, they are almost always going to start with blood testing, urinalysis, functional medicine testing. Is there specific labs you like to do or is it just like we're going to do as much as we possibly can, including genetics or, or what's your preference? Well, it depends. If an athlete coming to me, a lot of times when athletes come, they'll come, but some stand-up blood chemistry. For me, I would probably go towards, uh, they've changed the name, it was a nutrient eval, and now it's a metabolomics from Genova Diagnostics. We run that test quite a lot. Do a lot of Dutch testing, and we do a lot of allergy testing with test data, really good, um, really good validated uh, allergy tests. But when, it, when an athlete comes, I may go down the line of genetic testing or, or polymorphism testing if they've got a lot of other tests done. If they haven't, I'll just do the metabolomics, possibly the Dutch test possibly an allergy test. However, a lot of people just throw tests down people's throats straight away. A good standard blood chemistry, Ben, can tell you so much what's going on. A good thyroid test, a good testosterone test, a good, you know, broad spectrum and a red blood analysis and white blood analysis can, can tell you a lot what's going on. And one of the things I see with, with these guys, girls coming in, they're anemic. They're, 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 they're iron, they're ferritin, they're B12. The major issue um, if you're anemic, your chances of actually burning fat are massively compromised because we need oxygen in our body for better oxidation and fat fat loss to take place. So my specialized testing would be for guys, high-end guys, Olympic athletes, and for executives that I check, they check in every three months or six months with me and we reevaluate the nutritional markers. Um, but I don't put bone force tests on people's throat. I say, look, we, we need further investigations. Things aren't changed the way they need to. We have to look at this. Thyroid in Ireland is a real issue for a lot for females. You know, digestion issues are big. Like intrinsic factor antibodies and dysbiosis and gallbladder removal is really common in Ireland. And women won't won't get resolution unless they get those tests done to to, to find out if that is an issue. Hormone optimization is obviously a huge topic, and I'd like to I'd like to hear like your perspective on you know someone comes into you and you see some some hormonal dysregulation. So. Is it this type of thing where you automatically kick in and go, hey, let's bring in the endocrinologist and let's do some hormone replacement? Or do you obviously look at the the labs you look at, the functional medicine testing and say, let's optimize the the the, the big elephant in the room? Like what do we what do we look at to optimize the big rig the big flag and then fix the fix the basic physiology first, assuming the hormones will rebound from that? That's a very the tricky question. So it but so Ed Soano is a good friend of mine and he, he's big in this world of testosterone replacement therapy and he, he advised a lot of people on it. To be honest with you, a lot of people, and there's a, just two doctors that are quite close to my clinic and they refer a lot of people to me and they're the biggest 
hormone placement doctors in Dublin or, or in Ireland, as the case may be, a lot of times what he'll do is he'll identify an issue. He'll recommend testosterone or metformin or whatever maybe or or eltroxin, whatever it may be for that client, and then refer them on to me for the nutrition, for the training, for the lifestyle, for the sleep improvement. The same thing would happen to me if I bring someone in, I see they have sleep apnea, I see they've got blood, glu- blood glucose dysregulation, and they know they've got low testosterone. I'll put a plan in place for that and then link them in. The answer to the question is testosterone on its own will not have anywhere near the possible positive impact when you do sleep, blood glucose, training, recovery, and testosterone. I've got guys just under 100 guys now, which is one of those clinics, and the impact that it's had on them is huge. It is huge. You have one guy, and a lot of people have a sort of sleep apnea and don't even know about it. And guys out there, if you're waking up from you know, sleep at night time from snoring or you're stopping breathing, if you snore really loud, if your neck is over maybe 17 inches, if you've got a, a gut over 38 to 40 inches, the chances are you've got a sort of sleep apnea. Your glucose, your testosterone, your cortisol is on over the place. That needs to be addressed. Now, can you add testosterone in and fix a problem? Yes. Can you go into fix a problem first and then add in testosterone? It's a chicken and egg situation. This is the thing. If, if you agree to do the plan, I think you should do the whole plan. If you want to add in some hormone replacement therapy at the start and then work on other things, that is one approach. And some people are, are a little bit hesitant to do stuff like that. I've got guys coming up to me then doing their testosterone in the single figures. And this is the thing, and, and I know you're listening there a little bit different, but when it comes to, in Ireland, a lot of guys come in, and the biggest thing, the problem that I see is they're depressed, their, their mental health is fragile, their resilience, they're, they're overwhelmed with work, they're excessively working really hard, they've got multiple businesses and thousands of employees, and they're burned out. Now, yes, their testosterone is low, but they're, they're, the reason how it's presenting for that person is they've got no drive for anything, not just sex, but no drive to engage with people. They've low drive with their kids, with their partner, that nothing gives them enjoyment. They have a huge deal, a huge contract down to the next thing. So for me, testosterone can have impacts on those very things rather than just erections and muscle mass. So if it is an issue like that, I definitely think intervening earlier is better than, than later. Percentage of people you're working with that, that come into your world have gut health issues. Seems like it's just massively prevalent. I'm not sure if it's as prevalent in Ireland right now as it is in North America, but the number of people that that seem to present with some semblance of either just ridiculously elevated inflammatory numbers or, you know, some type of GI distress seems to be growing by the year. I'm not curious I'm curious if you if you experienced that and then what you're what you're doing with that. So for me, when, I'll be honest, I have more see, men and women. If you ask a woman about their bell move, too, they won't answer. You ask a man, he'll overshare, he'll show you pictures, he'll give you an answer. <laughs> but, but, but for females, really, I've only ever probably had four or five women that haven't had some digestive issue ongoing. I had one lady came to ask her how regular she did about you. She said, oh, I'm very regular every Wednesday. <laughs> That's not regular. But if, if you can... Dr. Brian Walsh, great friend of mine, he's, he's a great thing. If you can fart on request, if you get super urgency to go to the bathroom, if you've got bloating, particularly around the navel where you look like you're pregnant, if your be- stool comes out like a, like a glass of water or a brick, you've got something going on. There's a problem going on there and it has to be addressed because you know, again, up to 70% of our immune systems are located around their gut, which makes perfect sense. It's like you go to Canada or America, there's going to be airport police and it's customs. 
because you don't want people in that country that you don't want them. So I say to people all the time, we used to do seminars, we talk about good health, and I ask people to know, hands up here, who's got um, a leaky gut? And I use that word leaky gut for a reason, and nobody put up their hand. I said, if, you, if your gut wasn't leaky, you wouldn't absorb anything. So it's selective gut permeability is what we want. We don't want huge gaps in our gut. We want to have that billowing. We want that interest in paracellular and, and a transcellular nutrients to come in. But so many women have low stomach acid, poor enzymatic function, poor gallbladder function, dysbiosis, which for people out there is we have more bad bacteria than good bacteria. But some simple things, apple cider vinegar, slowing the meals down, rotating the protein that they consume on a regular basis, throwing in probiotics in my opinion, it, it can help. But I'd rather weed the garden, get the dirt out in the garden, get the soil going, and then add in the probiotics. Probiotics can have an impact, but I think they need to be placed on the plan strategically later down the line. But if digestion is, is compromised, you're not going to be absorbing the nutrients that you're eating. And one of the things that I ask women, if I gave them a steak and held it in their hand, would it make them sick? Would they you know, steer away from food because it sits in their belly? If food is sitting in their belly, if they feel bloated, could be low stomach acid, we can test for that. It could be gallbladder issues, we can test for that. It could be dysbiosis, we can test for that. And sometimes I don't test. I just rotate the food, maybe add in some enzymes. There's a good company now, Bio-Optimizers. They're really good. Mass enzymes, product of use, really good. So for me, it's the sponsor of the show. It did a sponsor of the show. Look at that. Yeah, really good, actually. I love, love their mag. The mag is pretty good, too. So for me, digestion, if that is an issue, that's one of my low-hanging fruits. So if a lady comes in or a guy comes in and that's the issue, I'm going to go for that. For men, I, I think it's maybe more sleep or more te- uh, low testosterone. But for for women, that's digestion. Because you've, you've heard of this IBS diagnosis. IBS is basically a bullshit diagnosis. You, you're constipated, you've got diarrhea, you've got a mixed type. What's the solution? What's the answer? What do I do? Do I eliminate certain food? Do I rebuild the gut? Do I repair the gut lining? Do I do a good test? Do I have celiac? There's a really good lab company called Cyrex Labs, and, and they do a lot of good testing when it comes to gluten sensitivity. But there's people that have gluten issues that are not celiac. So there's a broad, there's a very big continuum that goes on there. There's a great presentation on YouTube if your listeners are interested, by Alessio Fasano. And what he t- talks about is what happens in the gut doesn't stay in the gut. It's not like Vegas. So when you when humans consume gluten, we all... Uh, What's called got called a kind a separation of a gut lining. We all do it. So for you, Ben, you might have a big separation, or might have an even bigger one, and someone might have a smaller gap. But gluten causes every human's gut to separate. So you have what's called junction adhesion, oculus, these are the proteins that separate. The tight junctions will open in the presence of gluten. Every human does it. Some people open a little bit, some people open a bit more, some people open even more. So gluten, although that's not an immune reaction, that's just chemical reaction that happens in the body so people consuming gluten that have dysbiosis or low boil in their body or low uh, hydrochloric acid or enzymatic function they're, it's just a vicious cycle all the time so the removal of gluten will help that junction grows it doesn't need to be out all the time that person doesn't have an issue with it but for me food you put in your mouth has to bring something to the table have to bring some nutrients have to bring some energy sometimes it could just be a bit of fun with the kids and ice cream I get that but if it's a staple and it's causing your health to deteriorate in the long term, it needs to go. You said something there that I want to highlight that's really important. And I've never actually thought of this, but it made an uh, alarm go off in my brain. You said if there's someone out there who looks at a food or 
you know, maybe they, they have an aversion to a food, that could be some type of indication that maybe their body is dysfunctional around that food. So maybe it's a absence of acid or the absence of, of bile acids. Talk to me about that a little bit, because I, I don't think that's a very common thing that people would know. Yeah. So one of the questions I ask people, is there any food you particularly like or particularly, you know, doesn't agree with you. A lot of people, like women, you know, eat a steak and it sits in their belly for a long time. If that's the situation, maybe they haven't broken it down correctly, cheated enough. Maybe it's low stomach acid. Maybe it's intrinsic factor issues. But inherently, the body knows what it gravitates towards. Now, on the flip side, it's what's called gluteomorphins. And gluteomorphins are where people actually crave gluten. So they're, they don't do well on gluten, they actually crave it. That's a really interesting topic. And, but, I don't want to go off on one, but the question is some people will have a certain reaction to food and they just don't like it. And I would never ask someone to eat a food that they didn't like because chemically they may not, they may be reacting to that. Maybe it's an MSG intolerance. It could be a lactose intolerance. It could be whatever it may be. But I always ask people, what do they crave and what food doesn't agree with them? Because that can highlight quite a lot of stuff. It really can. People should be know if a food agrees with them or not. Talk to me about that. What you said. So here's an interesting fact. My son and I took a trip to Paris. My son uh, loves croissants. So he goes, Daddy, come, you know, can we go somewhere get croissants? So I took him to Paris. We ate a bunch of my, my rule with my son is we're on vacation, eat whatever you want, and I'm going to eat with you. So we had croissants, we had pizza, we had some, some bread. I ate a ton of gluten. I never eat gluten. I, I had a ton of gluten. And then I came back and probably for, I don't know, six, eight weeks afterwards, I just want, I wanted gluten. I was like, I want to eat bread. I never eat bread. I was like, I want to find great sourdough bread. I'm going to make it myself. We met, I was like, I haven't, I haven't gluten in 15 years. But as soon as I went and had like a week of gluten, all I could think about was gluten. So tell me about that. What is that? So, so gideomorphins is where people actually get a high from eating food. I call it a reaction to the body. And how, how mad is that? Gideomorphins, where people get like a, an opioid effect from eating shoes that they know they shouldn't chemically. It, it's, it's so crazy. And it can be similar when it comes to dairy, but there's more research from Dr. Giovanni when it comes to gluteomorphins. Yeah. Really interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. And so is there other foods or is it specifically just gluten? Gluten and dairy, that's it? Gluten, they've, they've isolated gluten and dairy that they get a key trigger. You know, it's not the same as it's getting a sugar fix with the nucleus accumbent. It's really different, different reactions to the body, but people actually crave food that are not doing well inside their body, where the body having the stress from them, they make they, they cause them to crave those foods. Super interesting. When I, yeah. I wonder if I, so here's an interesting thing about me is I don't, so I can take or leave coffee. I don't need to drink it every day. I don't feel like I need it, but I do find as though I, I like crave it and I, and I can skip it. And I'm like, I don't feel like it energizes me, but I wonder if I'm getting the same response because I have a very strong uh, belief that I'm allergic or, or intolerant to coffee. I feel like I get that same type of pull because I get some type of sensation in my body. It could be the dopamine from coffee or it yeah. could be some type of gluteomorphins. That's interesting. Man, that, that's a really, really powerful lesson for people to learn is you know, paying attention to how you actually feel when you eat foods. I don't think I've ever had anybody on to talk about that. Obviously, at some level, you're like, does it feel good or does it feel bad? But not as an indication of like, oh, maybe this is something that your body isn't digesting well because of something wrong. Yeah, and this is the thing. So there's... Sometimes it can be like gluten. It can definitely be an allergy. Could be an intolerance, as people say, with MSG and so on. But some people, their body just doesn't react well to certain food. And there's a lot of good solid research and and HRV and heart rate going elevated after meal, and the body doesn't respond well to. It could be a combination. So if you look up like 
Dr. Krasi, and he's got some phenomenal information online. And again, he works closely with Cyrex Labs. But this is the thing where people are reacting to, let's say they react to cheese. Cheese doesn't do well with them. Tomato sauce, they don't do well with the polyphenols in, in, in tomato sauce. But on a pizza, they have no reaction. Like, what on earth is going on? They had cheese, they don't do well with. Tomato sauce, they don't do well with. But combine it on a pizza and they're not having the same reaction. It's the combination of the proteins together that tend not to cause a spike in, in the immune system. So int- really interesting. And there's another thing mm-hmm. called anything called cro- cross re- cross reactivity where you see okay me and john so john is an irish coach and i'm an irish coach and let's say on gluten and john is dairy if the immune system is reacting to gluten and all of a sudden it sees somebody over there that looked a little bit like the gluten protein it can cross react to that other irish guy so people are reacting to dairy but they don't actually have a dairy issue they have a gluten issue but they have an irritated immune system that identifies another sequence of proteins that are similar because it's another Irish guy and then it causes that inflammation so it's that cross reactivity or molecular mimicry that goes on in the body it's fascinating stuff it really is damn those Irish guys man they're always causing probable <laughs> they are definitely um so is there any general guidelines you could throw to the audience you know who, who maybe isn't able or willing to do the lab testing in Cyrex and, and see what's going on in their, in their abdominal like Anything in general, like, hey, do this, don't do this, for optimizing gut health? Yeah, definitely. So one of the things I like, like with your consumer food, fish is very easy to digest. If, if I said to you, uh, mince meat, in order that everything to mince meat is beef, you can mince any meat, you can mince turkey, lamb, whatever it is. So the immune system generally, not always, but generally will cause an irritation from a fuel allergy point of view to a protein. So to the protein in chicken or in, in beef or in egg. Uh, eggs or dairy, whatever it may be. So it's very important we have a rotation of your proteins. So if the listeners are out there now, and if I ask them how many different forms of protein they eat on a regular basis, in order I get chicken, I get beef, and I get whey protein. There has to be more than that. There has to be a multitude of different fish, different animals, game, eggs. And even when you eat eating eggs, eat eggs in a different way, boiled, maybe scrambled, maybe poached. So in order to have good, good health, we need a good food rotation. Second of all, the stuff that you can do, like that 5, 10, 15, 20, to optimize digestion. There is some good research on colostrum or glutamine for rebuilding the gut lining. So your, 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 your villi, again, should have lots of, like, lots of villi on top of it, and the enzymes come in and absorb it. If you've got a lot of rust, or you've got a lot of villous atrophy, or your, your shaves, even vegetables can cause an issue. I've got guys that when they eat vegetables or broccoli or, or asparagus, it, it's rust to the gut. And the reason being is it, it's very abrasive to the gut lining. The gut lining is as thick as your eyelid. So it's very sensitive. So it's very important that we get that villi going. The benefit is those enterocytes, those cells in our gut lining, they turn over every four to seven days. So we just remove some foods, support with colostrum or possibly glutamine, the new cells come up, have nice villi, and then we can possibly start to reintroduce those vegetables again. But vegetables for some people, I mean fibrous, cellulose, like uh, celery, like broccoli, like um, kale, like asparagus, can be very uh, rusted, a good lining. So rotate the food, mix up the vegetables, possibly look into the enzymes, I find them very impactful, because what they do is, if you can imagine, excuse me, um, Marge Simpson's pearl necklace, big pearl necklace, loads of pearls in it. When you consume a food, you consume a food in a pair of necklace. And the job of the body, 
with hydrochloric acid, with the enzymes, is to chop that pearl necklace down into individual pearls. And those pearls can then be absorbed in our body. The problem is, by the time it gets into our small intestine, a lot of people haven't broken it down. It's a macromolecule. It's four or five pearls together. And that can cause inflammation to the body. That can cause leaky gut. That can cause an immune response. But having enzymes, chewing your food, rotating your protein, adding in your enzymes will help those pearls be absorbed and actually get the nutrients from the food. Rotate the protein that you consume. Maybe use some minced meat. Be careful of your vegetables. Glutamine, colostrum, Lactoferrin can also be very good, and also I put in some probiotics at the end once people have done that, and that can be very, very helpful. Rotate the food, add enzymes in, look into glutamine. Thanks, Owen. That's super helpful. So one of the things that I've been fascinated with, I've got, I work with guys over 40, so I get a couple of guys who are coming in with cardiac issues. I've done a lot of research on the optimal diet for the cardiac, uh, for long-term cardiac health. Some people say, hey, man, you got to avoid saturated fats. Some people are, are, are really deep on you know, avoiding cholesterol, bring your cholesterol levels down. Um, any thoughts and insights around uh, one cholesterol, two saturated fat, and its implication on one cardiac health, and ultimately just just the whole cholesterol conversation in general? This 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 is huge, and this is the thing: cholesterol is a predictor of coronary heart disease. People think it's number one; it's actually number fourteen at the moment. So, it's seventy percent, up to eighty percent, of the cholesterol in your body you make it. Your liver makes it. So why is the body making so much of this? And a very big, you know, stimulator of cholesterol in the body is blood sugar dysregulation. So if your blood sugar is going up and down, that can really cause the body to make a lot of cholesterol. So for me, what I like to do is real food. Processed food in general has no place in people's diets. So when and, and, and people say, oh, red meat is all the same. Not red meat is not all the same. It's good quality, hormone-free, antibiotics-free, and organic as much as you can. But for me, I've never had an issue with people. I say to them, okay, Talk to your doctor. Let's do three months of a control, not a low carb, a low carb controlled diet with real meat, with real egg, real fish, with fish oil in there. We I don't necessarily load them up with saturated fat, but I, as Doctor Serrano says, you you never on earth see a protein without a fat. They're always together. So you get that you get those two together. So I go for real food. I definitely add in fish oil. I definitely add in vitamin D and magnesium. And in three months' time, we get the bloods done, and the cholesterol is is always down. But there's inflammatory markers going on in people's bodies. Just because the fire brigade is at the fire doesn't mean the fire brigade caused the fire. So cholesterol gets a bad rap. Cholesterol carries hormones around the body. Cholesterol makes up our testosterone, our estrogen, our cortisol. We need it. But this. Having it in a certain, you know, parameter isn't the be all and end all. Blood pressure, your calcium score, resting heart rate, sleep, blood sugar. These are other things that can be more impactful. So I like to look at everything, but not consuming cholesterol in food. Cholesterol in food has little, very little impact on cholesterol in our bloodstream, serum cholesterol. Support the liver, control the blood sugar, add in certain nutrients, and that cholesterol will come down. And some people genetically have higher levels of cholesterol. Anyway. So there's a few things you said there I'd love to unpack. So you brought up a calcium score, and I don't know if that's an area that you focus on, but you mentioned it, so I thought it's worth like bringing it up. So that that's a big thing, right? And some people say it's got no correlation with heart attacks. I've heard recently in the most some recent research that it's actually very not very low level correlation with heart attacks. The thing that's more correlated with heart attacks is actually parasympathetic tone. Um, so I'm curious if you have any insights there into you know why that you know I'm sure you know why it starts to happen, but I'm curious if there's any thoughts around. Hey, what should we be doing? What should we be doing to avoid it? Can we reverse it? Any insights there? 
Yeah, so I have a few paleontologists that I work with. And what I'll do is generally when I send them off and they say, okay, oh, this guy has got a, an elevated cost of score. We're looking to improve his cardiac function. Well, first of all, we do blood pressure testing. Getting someone's blood pressure under control, getting someone's cardiovascular health in check will massively improve the longevity. And if you check anybody's calcium score, they're going to have calcium. People are out with it at different times and high levels of cholesterol. But it, it, it's not one factor that causes everything. It's the whole picture. So for me, it's blood pressure. It's resting heart rate. It's body composition. Even this visual adipose tissue. I don't know why people aren't addressing this. If you have an excessive level of, of visual adipose tissue, that is a major issue when it comes to cardiovascular health. So stuff like that, I tend to more focus on. However, in Ireland, and I think it's in most countries, People are focused on calcium scores, they're focused on, on, on cholesterol, and they want to get it down as low as they can and not focus on the things that are going to keep them healthy and have quality of life later down the line. They're too easy for better blockers, they're too easy for statins over here particularly, and then they have their own implications then on health. Everyone just wants to take a pill, right? Nobody wants to do the work. So talk to yeah. me about losing visceral fat, because like, is that different from losing subcutaneous fat? Because I've actually heard some interesting theories and stories around they're, they're, they could be uh, mechanistically different as far as how to lose this. Is it just like, hey, you got to drop body fat and visceral fat will go? Or do you have some like specific strategies on how to drop the visceral fat? Yeah, so this is the, this is the thing. As you know, I worked with Charles Bolton for years. We, we used to teach his course, biosignal modulation. The same thing that I would say stand up and same thing that don't necessarily stand up when it comes to the research. However, I think it's important for your listeners to know that adipocytes are actually hormonally active tissue. So your, your fat cells actually... They're hormonally active. Now, what can happen is we make quite a lot of cortisol in our body, but we make a second hand called cortisol. So, for example, you have dollars over there. I've got euros over here. In the in my body, my body can only use euro. However, if I had somewhere where I could I could use my, take my dollars and change it back into euro, fat tissue is one of those. So, visual adipose tissue has the enzymatic function to, to convert cortisol back to cortisol. The bidirectional pathway. So pe- when people are under a lot of stress, they're going to keep the bureau of shahans open because that's going to change that hormone back into keeping you alive. And whether people believe it or not, your body has one function, one function, and that's to keep you alive today. It doesn't care about your 18-inch or 20-inch arms when you're 70 or whatever. It wants to keep you alive now. So I see people all the time. I, I was laughing at I-, I was chatting with a client recently and the bum is gone. Like the glutes are one of the biggest muscles in the body. When you have high levels of cortisol for a long period of time, cortisol is a glucocorticoid. We're bringing blood sugar back up again. But it does it mainly we're breaking down fat, but also muscle tissue. So if you see a guy at a bar with a big fat belly, no triceps, no glutes, he's breaking his own body down to keep him alive from all the stress, from the alcohol, from the poor sleep. So when someone has a lot of visceral adipose tissue, my first question is, what life is he or he or she living to have that body fat deposition? What stress is going on that I can change? Is it alcohol? Is it blood sugar? Is it sleep? And when, when I find out what the trigger is, that's when it will come down. But you need to identify what that is. And for men, we call that the apple or the android body fat deposition. For a woman, they tend to have more of a pear shape or in research, kind of goinoid fat deposition. They don't have the same visual adiposity they tend not to have it in the, in the, the center of the body. Women can have it, but it's more common in men. They don't have the cavity as much as men have to put that fat on. But obviously, when you go morbidly obese, it's a little bit different. So visual adipose tissue, one, what's triggering it and what's sustaining it? Is it blood sugar? Is it alcohol? Is it sleep? But the body's going to keep that there because that 
tissue is helping that body survive in that homeostasis. It's converting that cortisone back to cortisol to help that person manage the stress. One of the areas that interest of mine in uh, metabolism is, you know, there's a lot of people talking about the alkaline acid diet. And, you know, I think we probably know by this point that your food isn't influencing your pH at all. But talk to me a little bit about the influence of do you, I mean, do you believe, or what do you know about some foods being acidic, some foods being uh, alkaline, and those foods ultimately influencing the body's uh, performance in some way, even if it isn't directly influencing pH? I'm curious if you have any insights on that, because you know, when it, when it comes to research in the heart, I've actually heard some people like, you need to eat more alkaline foods. I was like, well, we know it's not influencing the pH of the blood, but what is it influencing? Yes, and, and that, this is the topic that I've spoke to many physicians about, and Dr. Serrano being one, Dr. Brian Wasted another. Food, alkalizing food has little to very little, if any, impact on, on, on the alkalinity of your blood. Your your breath work, your stress, exercise is very acidic to the body. So for me, I, I don't think it has the biggest crossover that people used to think that it has. So for me, I don't think it has a huge crossover at all. Electrolytes, hydration, breath work, these are things that I look for to alkalize the body. And this is the thing, this is the, thing the body needs to be a certain acidity at certain levels. For example, your stomach, it should be a pH of 1 to 3. The older you get, the longer it takes that pH to come back into an acidic nature. So higher frequency meals for older people isn't actually that recommended. For younger people, they can have local meals and their, 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 their the acidity of the stomach comes back to where it needs to be. Once you're over 40 or 45 or 50, it takes longer and longer for that acidity to come down. If that acidity isn't where it needs to be. Food isn't going to be broken down correctly. Sleep, sleep is compromised. That can massively impact on the body's restorative nature of getting the pH where it needs to be in the bloodstream. But I don't think food has as big as impact as people used to believe that it has. Yeah, I agree. And so I was thinking about, I've been researching a little bit about mental stress being one of the biggest influences on acidity, you know, people becoming more acidic. And therefore, obviously, exercise stress is another significant influence. And yeah, I'm curious what, you know, so breath work is a lever, sleep is a lever. Um, but food, as you as you say, is probably a very small influence on actually where the body sits as far as pH. Yeah, no, I say that, but just just to, on top of good quality food, if people are eating shitty McDonald's and takeaway, I definitely believe that deep fried food and you know, fried food and baths can definitely have you know an acidic acidic impact on the blood. But I'm talking real quality food is not going to change things too much. So, but that's important to note because I'm, I'm curious about that. Like if I do out, go out and eat a burger and french fries from McDonald's, that can have an acidifying effect or is it more of a like leaching the minerals? Like what is the mechanism here? Yeah. So this is so a document with Dr. Mark Houston. He's based at the Hypertension Institute. One of the things I had him over in Ireland many years ago, um, I talked to him about, about cheat meals, what we talked about. All right. And what he said, he said, oh, if, and what people do is they, they eat clean all week. And then the weekend, they go, hey, you guys, they have this huge cheat meal of all this junk food. He says, I've, I've tested these people, I've done lab testing on these people. And what happens is, if you're, no, if you're overweight, I'll just start this off. If you're overweight and on the road to weight loss, every week have a cheat meal. He has seen inflammatory markers, interleukin 6 and CRP elevate in someone's bloodstream for four to seven days after that cheat meal. Now, what happens after four to seven days, that person has the other cheat meal. And then it rolls on. So the inflammatory markers in the body, I'm not saying that it's it, alkalinity of the blood. I'm saying it, he showed that if he was testing people after the cheat meal, if they're overweight and they've got a lot of inflammation in the body, that they have inflammation markers elevated above normal for four to seven days. 
And then seven days happens, they have a cheat meal again, it rolls on. So for me, cheat meals are meals that are outside of the diet. I don't even like to call them cheat meals, but I like dietary breaks or whatever you want to call it. They should have be at least two weeks for beginner people and it could, should always be controlled. So summarize that for me. Are you an advocate of, of doing, uh, you know, quote unquote diet breaks or are you an advocate of just like you got to eat clean all the time? What, what would be your like overall kind of thesis toward caloric manipulation from, from, you know, good calories and not, not good calories? What would be so for, for me, if someone comes in and, and I know that they're, they're overweight and their metabolic flexible, I'm looking for at least a two to four window period of them not breaking the diet. Then once that is gone, they can break it every week or every second week with something that's off the food plan. I've no problem with that. You know, the only issue is that people go five days clean, two days off, no results. And I like it with a bit to have food that is not necessarily on the food plan to keep them mentally focused. Otherwise, they'll get taste fatigue and brain fatigue. But initially, to start them off, like I say to them, you've been eating crap food for 40 years. Give me two or three weekends without having some shit food. It's not a big question. It really isn't. Man, I was just about to say that. I was like, can you think of the, the, the what we're saying is like it's an enormous deal for someone to go 30 days without eating shit? It, that's just mind blowing to me. Like you can't you can't do it for 30 days. It's just like I'm not saying like starve yourself and don't eat anything. Yeah. Just like avoid avoid hyper palatable foods that are you know setting off your brain's dopamine centers like a like a slot machine. Yeah. Yeah. So fascinating, man. All right, there's a lot to unpack there. So someone who is looking to optimize performance, do you have like a, I know you said, you know, the first month you want to have a, a relatively clean diet. Do you have a, a certain macro or approach to setting up a diet? Somebody walks in, let's say I, I sign up as your client today and I say, oh, and like, where, where do my macros start? Obviously, you know, we talked about the lifestyle interventions. We talked about the hormone interventions and all those things. As far as setting up macros, where does that start for you? Where does, where does your thought process go? Like say you're teaching my coaches or myself, Hey man, here's how you should set up a diet. So first thing I do is I never recommend macros or calories unless I check what someone currently is. I see a lot of coaches sending out sample diet plan, 16, two and a half thousand calories. These are the macro split I want you to be on without currently knowing where that person is. If I said to you, Ben, I want you to drink four liters of water a day. And let's say you're only consuming one liter yesterday. You'll be in the bathroom all day. You can't do that. The body is very clever. But what I do is I find out where people currently are, what the caloric intake is like, what the macros are in like, and then I start off from there. Some people, honestly, I find a lot of people don't eat enough protein and the fat is all over the place. Carbohydrates, they tend to be eating a lot of carbohydrates. So we have a very simple approach called the ABC approach. The adequate protein. What's adequate protein? Adequate protein will sustain your muscle mass and support you putting on more muscle mass if that's what you want. These stands are balancing your fat intake, what's your omega-3, 6, and 9 line, what's your fish oil intake like, what's your GLA, CLA, what is that intake like, what's your nuts, avocados, what's happening there because I want that to help sustain or prolong the balance of your blood sugar. And C is your controlled and cycled carbohydrates. What carbs are you eating? When are you eating them? How are you timing them? How are you pairing them to your workouts and to your sleep? And that's where initially start. Find out what they're currently eating, what the calories are, what the macros are, and then I build them into what's going to be a long-term sustainable plan. People don't want, like, apart from bodybuilders and, and physique athletes and my guys and they're cutting weight, I'll get them to count calories. But roughly, I want the guys to be able to follow a plan without too much brain power. What they sh- every meal, what it should have every single time. 
So for me, I start off simple and I get it more in-depth based on the person's goal. If it is weight cutting, it might be quite extreme. If it's someone that's dropping down a weight class, going up a weight class, it could be quite extreme. But to get success, you need to f- find out where someone currently is and then bring them up gradually. And generally, depending on the person, 300 to 500 calories is my wave where I wave to up. And I generally focus on protein, fats, force, and carb timing initially. And you do a brilliant job of simplifying things. Talk to me about B, the balancing of the of the of the fats. A lot of people demonize, including myself, sometimes demonize omega sixes because they're just so prevalent. I think they're over prevalent in the American diet. Talk to me about fats. How do you approach fats? I know you said you're a fan of fish oils, but what else? What else would be a guideline to walk through fats? So, yeah, so GLA can be a very good fat. CLA can also be very good fat for helping through the fat burn. But fats. What happens is people will overload on fats. They're overloading omega trees. You need a whole blend across, particularly I've got a young daughter at home and we I'll actually give her DHA as a supplement on its own. So I think a lot of people aren't addressing that. Fish oil with the cell, me- cell-, cell membrane fluidity allows cells to speak to one another. So fish oil isn't blended. So I use Dr. Serrano's one, which is a blend of avocado oil, olive oil, and GLA, CLA, Omega EPA DHA. So I look at land. Where did you get that? I don't know. He had one. Where's that? Where's that product? It's called Alpha Omega. Is what he calls it. And Infinity Fitness use it. And what I used to do in the past, I go through a top of maybe EPA DHA with a certain concentration. Then I do a month of GLA, then a month of CLA. It's just complicated for people to rotate around it. But I like to give a mix all the time. And then I'll do the Omega Tree Index, or I'll do it. I'll do um a met- metabolomics test with the actual uh, fish oil. Assessment on it or the omega in that genre to see where people are. But brain function, skin, in particular in Ireland, a lot of people have this new skin on the back of the area, back of the area. See that? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that hyperfollicular keratosis is really common in Ireland. That's a sign that someone may not necessarily absorb the omegas very well, maybe low on vitamin D and may not be able to use vitamin A correctly. Vitamin A in the body and a lot of words people have that's called a BC01 gene that may not be able to use vitamin A very well in the body. You may need to supplement. It's fascinating. I didn't know that. There's a lot of people out there speaking about the high oxidation likelihood of omega 3s. Is that not something you're worried about? Obviously, we're worried about the quality of it, but yeah. You know, I'm sure you've heard people kind of. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so the quality and the purity has to be exceptional. So Nordic Naturals, they're one of the biggest companies that make a lot of fish oil. Fish oil should definitely be in a dark container. The actual, there should be some sort of stabilizing factor inside the, the capsule itself. It should be a dark um, capsule itself. I see people with see-through containers and see-through fish oil. That's rancid. Don't, don't go near that. It should be in a dark container or a cover container and the gel capsules should be, uh, should be dark. Also, one thing I found some people w- will complain that fish oil repeats on them. A little trick that we do is we, we put the fish oil in the freezer. So when you take it, it's frozen and it doesn't dissolve to later down in, in, in the stomach on a small intestine so people don't get that reflux on it. But fish oil is one of those things. Barbara de Pasquale talks a lot about it. It's so advantageous for so many different people. And I think if people are training really hard, it's like WD-40 oil in your joints for your hormones, for your connective tissue. I think it, it's fundamental. What are your, some of your biggest levers for optimizing inflammatory pathways? Fourth off is sleep. When sleep is a problem, it, 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 I say to people, imagine you woke up, I'm sure you don't drink, but if you ever woke up and you're hungover, everything is hard. 
Breathing is hard, brushing your teeth is hard, putting your socks on is hard. When sleep is an issue, the body cannot calm down. And we, like, this is the, we need information. There's a lot of people jumping on ice buckets now, think it's going to help them. It may help some people, it may not help some people. And the gene, the body called COMT, catecholamine old metal transferase, COMT. And what it does is it breaks down catecholamines in the body. People that have this gene, they're more athletic, they tend to be bigger, muscular, they tend to be more, I was going to say controlled aggression, they tend to be more, you know, driven, they're more dopamine, they're more focused. But the problem is with these people, they can be bored out more. So cold therapy for these people can sometimes cause too much stress for them and cause them to go over and over. Okay, I I was sort of hitting there. I didn't. I thought you get. I knew you get it. So, so people need certain information in the body, and it's good. Training causes information, but we need the mechanism to bring that back down. Sleep, nutrition, breath work. For me, meditation. I know. I laugh back in the day when I used to do meditation, and I just couldn't get a good hang of it. And then I started to use inner balance or heart mat. If you're familiar with that, yeah. And then I got the. I got the coherence. I use the Calm app twice a day, every day. And for me, it, it centers me. It really does. I'm with kids and businesses. Not that I can relate to some of my executives, but I know when you're managing staff and you're managing different time zones, there's a lot going on. So having that, you know, you know, focusing twice a day where you don't quit your brain down, you just have a bit of a recharge. It really helps people. So electrolytes, hydration, breath work, meditation can be very restorative to bring down the information. But what I say to people is, the best way of not being inflamed is not to do this to cause you to be inflamed in the first place. Rather than rather than getting on the treadmill and burning a thousand calories, don't eat the thousand calories in the first place. So see what's going on, why you've made these decisions, why are you inflamed? Are you overtrained? Are you not recovering? And again, as I said, not training is not recovery. Is there normal text? I've got a flotation tank in my clinic. We've got far infrared saunas. We've got Normatex. We've got game readies. We do IV vitamin therapy. We use acupuncture. We do massage. We do whatever we need to do to help people recover. But it needs to be in a plan. If, I, if, you, if any client was to ask you to train them, they'll send you the training plan. But where that training plan is a recovery plan? Where's their saunas? Where's their massage? Where's their, their coping? People only address these things when it's a problem. A friend of mine, he's, he's got a big podcast studio and the big thing that we go back and forth is if I can get across to one person that don't wait till the wheels fall off the car before you fix it. Right? My dad had a stroke many years ago now. He's, he's My dad is 71. He had a stroke when he was 52. In the car, bang, done. He's, he's still alive, but his existence isn't anywhere where it needs to be. He, he's blind in one eye. He drives part of his body. He can't dress himself. So life is so short. Don't wait till you have a heart attack, a stroke, you know, whatever it is before you fix things. So people, if there's inflammation going on in the body, listen to your body. How am I feeling? What's my mood like? How am I engaging with people? And one of the things I say to people, like oh, my son, he's 22, and I was a young dad, a very young dad. Now I've got a young daughter, she's one. So I've got four kids. How I parent now is so different than what I parent back then. And I, I count myself lucky that I've learned what that bloody gobshite was when he was 20 trying to be a dad. He didn't know what he was doing. This gobshite doesn't know either, but he's a, he's a little bit better. So every time you're in a situation, you have an opportunity. Well, why am I inflamed? Am I overtrained? Am I engaging with people? Am I talking over people? Am I listening to people? Sometimes people just want to be listened to. So as a coach, those guys out there, just listen to your clients. They will tell you what's wrong. But if you just keep moving your lips, you won't have that opportunity to listen to them. And then when someone asks you a question, when you answer a question someone's asked, 
they're going to remember that information. Just bombarding people with information that's non-relevant to them, they won't take it in. But one thing, don't wait till the body's broken down before you do something about it. So health, happiness, engagement, and we all do this to be able to live longer, to be with our kids, to walk our daughters up the aisle, to see our, our sons married, to see them happy. That's what we want. So, but you only get there by making decisions, the right decisions every day. My dad had a great quote. He says, you always know the right thing to do. Whether you choose to do it or not is up to you. I'm like, sure, that's quite a good one. I like that one. So people know what to eat. And I, one of my pet hates is people open the fridge and go, when are we going to have a breakfast? What? I've never seen a fridge go shopping. That, that food didn't magically appear inside that fridge. You need to you need to shop for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Guess what? It happened yesterday. It's going to happen again today. So be prepared. And the more you prepare for these things, the less reactive you are. Don't be reactive. Oh, I forgot to take my supplements. Oh, forgot to go train. Build a plan. Follow the plan. If it doesn't work, assess it at the end of the week. Modify it. And this is the thing. If something's going wrong with your car, Ben, or something's going wrong with your tooth, you're going to go to a dentist. You're going to go to a mechanic. Clients out there, don't think you can do this by watching something on Instagram. Go to a coach. Let him help you. Invest in your health. Invest in your well-being. For not only you, you're playing with training, but the results that you get. One sweet doesn't give you a cavity. But doing squats wrong one day in the gym are not, not going to break your back. A few years down the line, you have no carnage, your medial meniscus is becking, chopped in half, your, 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 your carnage and your ligaments are all over the place. That's, you can't go back then. So reach out to people. Get a plan that's for you. Get a plan and check in regularly with people so you can modify to make sure you're getting toward your destination. People think going to the gym and sweating or getting a pump on, they're getting healthy. That may be, and we're going, that's something that we talked about, the wrong direction. Reboot, get back on the track all the time so people can actually you enjoy your lives and be better because I think with COVID and all the crap that went on, people tend to be, you know, keep everything to themselves, help as many people as you can, you know. That's my soul, Paul. I love it. I apologize. I could, t- I could talk to you on nutrition all day, man. This is so, so useful. I think you have amazing insights. You're obviously a very, very gifted teacher. I want to be respectful of your time. I would love for you to share where our audience can either reach out to you personally, reach out to the Irish Strength Institute, or maybe learn from you more. Oh, man, again, I'd love to invite you back on soon. So yeah, so I have it. I'm actually I'm 42 now, Ben. So I decided when I was 40 to get onto social media. Before then, I wasn't on it at all. I don't know whether that's to the detriment or not, but I just didn't. The people that was around me, the people I coach. So I now have a website called olaceeducation.com, and I actually have a, an offer for all your, your members, our listeners today. Ben Torpy gives you 30 percent off any of the courses online. If the courses are valuable to you, brilliant. Look them up. If there's any questions you guys have for the podcast. Feel free to give me a DM on Instagram at all in AC Education. But uh, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you. You have me on, and hopefully, your listeners can slow me down and, and get some value from the content. Man, you're truly a phenomenal educator. Your understanding of the information is very, very evident, man. I really appreciate you making the time. No problem at all, Ben. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gents, boys and girls, that's a wrap. I told you that was a doozy. That was a big one. Owen is uh, very, very experienced, uh, truly one of the leaders in nutritional optimization in the world, not just uh, North America, certainly not just in Ireland. This guy is definitely one of the resources that you want to listen to. Don't forget to head over to his website, um, which is linked in the show notes at muscleintelligence.com. Head over there to get that links to all of the things we talked about today in the podcast, as well as all of the sponsors that exist in the muscle intelligence community. 
You can also head over to Facebook and follow us on the Facebook group. I would love to have you join me in there. If you want to interact with me personally, if you want to send some comments some feedback, some information, you want to learn from me or the team, uh, head over to Facebook and join us there. And then also head over and support our sponsors at buyoptimizers.com. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M. I-Z-E-R-S, bioptimizers.com. You can pick up Mag Breakthrough, Masszymes, P3M, Capex, all these incredible products. And they've now got a new suite of nootropic products to help you optimize your mind and think like a champ. Ladies and gents, thanks for being here. Owen, thanks for being here. If you're listening, appreciate you, man. That was incredible. And ladies and gents, I hope to see you again soon on the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. You don't want to miss an amazing episode as we drop them every week. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.